When I was a kid, my grandfather used to take me bowling, and I loved bowling, and he knew I loved bowling, and he fostered it. My dad was a bowler. So what my dad would, grandfather would do is he would take me to Hollywood, and I would help him fix uh, anything that he needed fixing at his apartment buildings. And we'd get there, we'd leave at about 7 o'clock in the morning, and then we'd drive all the way to Hollywood, which was about an hour, an hour, hour and a half away, depending on the traffic. And then we would tend to the apartment building, and he, in appreciation, would take me bowling for a couple of games. Well, one day, uh, I remember we were just getting out of the bowling alley, carrying my ball, and my grandfather was had his wallet picked by some black kid. Young kid picked his wallet. We chased the kid. The kid got away. Um, he was a lot older than I was, so there's no way I was going to catch him. Well, I guess what this means is that whites are always in danger of going bowling because of racism. Well, I don't buy that crap, but that's what the media seems to think, especially the New York Times, which just released an absolutely horrific article last week. This is Gene, and you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Well, today is special. Today, we needed to celebrate President Trump unveiling the military flag for the subsidiary of the Air Force called Space Force. Uh, just like the Marines are a subsidiary of the Navy, the Space Force is going to be a subsidiary of the Air Force. And they unveiled the new patches that they're going to be wearing on the uniform. There was actually... A, I guess in the Army, I'm not really great with Air Force ranks, but in the Army, you have a master, you have a sergeant of the armies. Today, they unveiled the first sergeant of the Space Force, the first official Space Force member. Trump said, and you're going to hear him in a second, space is going to be the future, both in terms of defense and offense, and so many other things, and already... From what I'm hearing, and based on reports, we're now the leader of space. And that's not a shock. We've probably been the leaders of space since the 60s when we got to the moon. But listen to this little montage of the unveiling of the flag. Well, thank you very much. It's a very special moment because this is the presentation of the Space Force flag. So we've worked very hard on this, and it's so important from a defensive standpoint, from an offensive standpoint, from every standpoint there is. Let me just say it's a very historic moment. Uh, the United States has been a spacefaring nation for decades, but we know that our adversaries in the last several years have, have weaponized space. They've made it a warfighting domain. And so with the establishment of Space Force and the establishment of Space Command, the United States is now doing what it needs to do to protect our assets in space and to ensure that space remains the heavens by which we not only protect America, but we sustain our economy, we sustain our commercial capabilities, we sustain Americans' way of life. Very, very great honor. It's a great honor. That's a beautiful flag, too. Roger, hold that up so they can see. That's really beautiful. Wow. That's a big, that's a big day. That's a big day. Can somebody explain the logo? General Raymond? Please. So the, the delta uh, in the middle is the symbol that the space uh, community has used for years and years and years. The North Star signifies our core value, our guiding light, if you will. And the orbit around the globe uh, signifies the space capabilities that fuel our American way of life and our American way of war. That's great. The flag is a dark blue 
with a delta wing on it. And if you don't know what a delta wing, it looks kind of like the Star Trek symbol. It's got an elliptical orbit and three large stars that are intended to symbolize the Space Force's purpose for organizing, training, and equipping. You also heard about the North Star, which represents our guiding light or the principles of the United States. This is all according to the White House. It is the first new military flag unveiled uh, in 72 years. During the presentation on Friday, uh, Trump alluded to the development of a new military asset. Quote, we have, I call it the super duper missile. 17 times faster than what they have now. Now, what Trump is probably talking about, he's probably talking about a hypersonic missile. These missiles have been in uh, production for a long time. Uh, China has been exclaiming that they have one. The United States has been working on one for a very long time. But here's the thing. Space is something we really did need to get into because we have a lot of military weapons that are designed to be in space. A lot of them, they're anti-defense, they're anti-missile defense systems, they're lasers for offense and defense, and ra uh, the railgun system, which uses electromagnetic energy to, large, uh, to launch a projectile. And this projectile, believe it or not, can be standard ammunition or caseless projectiles such as a, plama, a plasma bolt. Uh, plasma is a kind of a liquid energy. It's a, almost kind of an ooze. And so when it shoots, it doesn't have any of the limitations that, let's say, metal would have. The future is here. And Reagan had it right back in the 80s that we should have developed a Star Wars system. We should develop these systems in space. And of course, it just never really happened, probably because of the cost. And the reality is our technology wasn't there. The space shuttle was meant to pave the way for that, but the space shuttle was pretty much a failure. Now, the, um, the service, the celebration was a really beautiful little ceremony. It was really nice to watch. The news media barely touched it. As a matter of fact, when I was watching the news, I saw it on Fox by accident and watched it all the way through. And there really wasn't much discussion about it in the later in the primetime videocasts, of course, on the primetime broadcasts. Of course, they're not going to be. But what really is important here is not only did Trump have a really nice ceremony, but it shows the positive attitude that Trump has, the look forward that Trump has about the United States. He sees the United States as something that needs to continually progress forward. You hear all the left keep talking about how progressive they are. They're really not. Trump is the one that is always progressing forward. And he's the one that thinks this country is great and we should build upon our country, even if that, even meaning we should build upon our technology. And we are the uh, front, uh, space's first frontier. We're the first pioneers in space. We're going to be the ones that land on the moon next. We're going to be the ones that land on Mars next. We, we should take and embrace that and use it for our protection. It was a really, really wonderful ceremony. Now, a lot of you who know me know that I've been a runner for the longest time. It's been 30-some-odd years, about 35 years. And I've loved running. I love the camaraderie with running. I love everything about it. I love the races. I hate training, but I, I love the races. And I've had some of the best friends. My best friends were running. I have dated people who I have run with. I've trained people and we've become close friends. Um, my girlfriend runs. I got her to run a marathon. Now I'm trying to get her to run an ultra marathon. Matter of fact, I'm waiting for my girlfriend to get home so that we can take her granddaughter out and go for a nice about four or five mile walk. We just, we love it and we love getting out. There was an opinion piece uh, released by the New York Times and it was absolutely disgusting. And this gal who wrote it is supposed to be a marathon runner. I don't know what she's talking about. I guess she's, I don't know what marathon she's been running in, but she's decided to point out that 
running is not for everybody. The piece is entitled, Jogging Has Always Excluded Black People. Um, you can kind of see where this one is going to be going. I mean, right off the bat, it, I, can't, I can't think of a, I guess the editors, not only did they not read the article, but they didn't really take a lot of time out for the title. Um, and the, the subheader is born in Lily White, Oregon. It's a sport that's long claimed to be for everyone. Even as African-American joggers have been persistently subjected to harassment and worse. That's the banner. Oh, wow. I had to read this article. Um, it's by Natalia Melman uh, Petrezella. Uh, she's the author. She's a marathon runner, and she's a Ph.D. in cultural and political history. Now, right off the bat, we can see modern cultural and political history. We can see right off the bat that this gal probably does not have all of the right uh, all her marbles in the same basket. So we're going to go through this article, and I'm just going to stop and say how much piece of crap uh, she is, how much full of crap she is as we go. So I, my girlfriend, again, she's supposed to be coming here. I wanted her to listen to this one simply because I'm, I know she'll talk. She's not going to keep her mouth shut during this article. So let's start off with this tripe. Uh, starts out, quote, free, easy, relaxing. That's how jogging was marketed in the late 1960s, when the idea of heading out on regular run, on a regular run was unfamiliar to most Americans. Uh, excuse me. Un unlike other physical fitness programs that require heavy, expensive gear, jogging was accessible to all, boost, uh, boosters claimed. But history shows how untrue that is and how long the sport of running has maintained this fiction. Okay, right off the bat, end quote. Right off the bat, we can see where this is going. Um, running has been around for, I don't know, forever, thousands of years. People, they still to this day run from point to point to get someplace. They, a lot of places don't have cars. Um, so right off the bat, her saying that, oh, well, you know, we did this or, you know, it was invented in the 60s. No, well, I think Jesse Owens would probably disagree with you. It probably was a little bit before the 60s that running became a thing. It's always been around. So she's already full of crap. But I continue. Let's go. When video, when video surfaced, quote, when video surfaced of the killing of Amand Arbery, the young black jogger gunned down in the South Georgia Distance runners became a new voice among the usual chorus of social justice activists who grimly parse such tragedies. But among runners, reactions largely differed in one important factor, race. Black runners recounted their own routines intended to deflect the sort of suspicions that turned deadly after Mr. Arbery, steering clear of certain neighborhoods, going out only in the daylight, wearing Ivy League, sweatshirt, Ivy League sweatshirt to broadcast respectability. Many white runners, by contrast, were aghast that the sense of peace they feel when hitting the open road reflected their racial privilege. Here's a newsflash. Um, end quote. Here's a newsflash. White people have to do the same thing that black people have to do when they're running. You know why? Because there is crime and there are jerks out there. Those jerks could have be racist. Those jerks could just not like you. Those jerks could want to rob you. They're always out there. Now, the now I want to point out something. The article already assumes a lot. It assumes the guys which killed Arbery are racist and that's the only reason they attacked them. It assumes they killed him only because he was black. Reality is, though the video is ugly... We really don't know why Arbery was, ta was targeted. These guys could have been racist. There's no question. They could have, been they could have suspected Arbery of doing something and overreacted. Now, one of these guys was, a, was an ex-cop. Maybe he thought he was entitled to do more than the average citizen. Or they could just be dumb murderers. And if you look at them... They do seem like a couple of mouth breathers. And I want to point out, what I'm saying is prejudice. What I'm saying creates an assumption. 
We just don't know, and there are no answers yet. We don't know. And assumptions in cases like this are dangerous, and they can cause problems. So to make an assumption, and actually damn a sport, because you're going to make those assumptions, is not only irresponsible, it's, honestly, it's kind of crazy. But I'll continue on. Quote, the disparity should come as no surprise. Running has been a pastime marketed primarily to white people ever since the jogging craze was born in Lily White, Oregon track and field world of the late 1960s. Black people have not only been excluded from the sport, one survey by Running USA found under 10% of the frequent runners identify as African American. They've also been relentlessly depicted as a threat to legitimate white joggers. The most apparently egalitarian exercise of all running is anything but, especially when it comes to race. This argument is already kind of invalidated her entire paper, and she's done this a few times. Uh, the first thing is, it, this makes the assumption that running, di running didn't start in Oregon it, it, in the 60s. Running was around a long time before the 60s. Remember Chariots of Fire? They were talking about running in the 20s. Jesse Owens won the 1936 Olympics. Olympics. He was a black man in the middle of uh, the worst racism in the United States. There was another runner back in the 50s that, that won, an won in the Olympics. Uh, a black runner. I, can't, I don't recall his name at the moment. But running has been around a long time. And it was around throughout history not just in the United States. Again, we talked about substance running. We talked about, uh, you know, the running was in marathon, started in Athens. Um, running is huge in Africa. It's huge in uh, South America. And it's because that's how people survived. To s sit back and say that, oh, well, America discovered running or competitive running. Running's always been there. Okay, the shoes have gotten better, maybe, and well, Nike, they, <laughs> Nike, the shoes supposedly got better with Nike, but no, it didn't. Nike's shoes suck, but that it's not my point. My point is to sit back and say running started in the '60s, it became mainstream in the '60s, which maybe it did. Okay, maybe it did become mainstream in the '60s, but it was not a white sport, not by any stretch of the imagine imagination was running a white sport, nor in the United States that they take it did they ever take it as a white only sport. I'm sorry, I'm not buying that. Just because the guy just because Oregon had a lot of white people, just because a lot of people saw or uh, Nike knew how to market running does not make it a white sport and then suddenly we got to get rid of all the blacks from running. That's I'm sorry, that's just not a thing. So let's continue. <clears throat> Uh, let's quote, let's start at the beginning, which is 1967. That's the year a University of Oregon track coach named Bill Bowerman, together with cardiologist Waldo Harris, published a slim volume titled Jogging, which became a bestseller. Most Americans then thought of exercise as weightlifting or military style calisthenics, but the book made a radical proposition that a sp steady, easy-paced run, alternating with breath-catching periods of walking, was suitable exercise for everyone ages 7 to 70. And mind you, everyone, and that's what they did say. Best of all, this simple activity required no special skills, no expensive clothing, and no healthy club membership. All you needed, these apostles promised, were rubber-soled shoes, a commitment to your health, and the will to head outdoors. Celebrity endorsements and new scientific research on aerobics made jogging a craze that spread far beyond the jogging capital of the United States, 99% white in Eugene, Oregon. There's your history. Anything about race is there. There's nothing about race. That is the history. 
Notice she even said it herself. It takes no special kills. All anybody needs, anybody, everyone, ages 7 to 70, can be a runner. So I don't know what the issue is here. Next paragraph. Quote, yet the new national pastime never delivered on the promises of universalism. Women complained of being harassed by male passerbys. And at the time when a white middle class exodus to the suburbs had sapped big cities of vital tax base, many Americans who lived in these cities could not safely just go outside to jog in parks or in a street. Now, this is really dumb. And I, I think the editor of the New York Times should be really fired for, for this. I've read a lot of running books, probably over a hundred. I'm reading one now. None of those running box books talked about uh, universalism. I have read one book that is over a thousand pages that goes over the physiological, psychological, and emotional aspects of running, written by a doctor. Never mentioned universalism. You know what they talked about? Running. Same as these guys did in sixties in in the sixties in Oregon. Bowerman did not care. Bowerman had black people on the team. Bowerman did not care if you were white or black as long as you could run. What does sexual harassment have to do with running? Okay, so some gals running down the street and which is why well, I think what she's talking about. What does that have to do with running? What is that? Why is that? And by the way, she did not say they're being sexual harassed by other runners, which would never happen. They're being harassed by men on the street. That has nothing to do with the sport. She's running. She'd probably get the same treatment if she was walking to work down the street. Here's the thing. And here's the other thing. This is since when did sexual harassment become a white only? It's not a crime, but a white only thing. You mean blacks don't sexually harass? Hispanics don't sexually harass? Hey, I got news for you. That's that's just not true. Of course they do. A jerk's a jerk. It doesn't matter what color they are. And it's still, either way, it still has nothing to do with the sport. Her last line blows her argument out of the water. If all the white people were leaving the urban areas because they are racist and don't want to live with whites and blacks are still getting attacked at the park, who's attacking the blacks? Can't be the whites. They're all moved out because they're all racist. You see the point? And she's right. A lot of a lot of the urban areas, they did clear out. Whites did clear out when there started to be this forced integration thing. Does that mean does that mean the blacks were attacking other blacks? And that's racist because of the whites? How? Because they moved? Oh, such bad editing. That editor over at the New York Times, they are falling apart at the New York Times, if they haven't already. Let's continue. Quote, marketing and media didn't help. Oh, we'll get careful with this one. From the cover of People magazine to ads for Nike, which Bill Bowerman co-founded, the joggers were almost uniformly depicted as white. Black Americans pushed back, eager to embrace the activity that would combat heart disease prevalent in their communities. The black press recommended jogging as a free antidote to the sedentary trap. And an ebony, a one a ebony, one full-page color ad for the phone company featured a smiling middle-aged couple playfully competing over their five-mile pace. I think she means five-minute mile pace. I don't know what she means, five-mile pace. That was actually in the article. So I'm not sure what she's talking about there. I'll continue. Some took on the stereotype of the white jogger head-on. In 1979, a headline in Jet Magazine proclaimed, Jogging Not Harmful to Black Women... It's dangerous to white women, says expert. Okay. First off, I think there's a big difference between marketing and virtuals, virtue signaling. And because a lot of our stuff today is virtue signaling, 
I don't think people can tell the difference. Marketing is when a certain image runs parallel to a company's product. An example of marketing is a Lincoln commercial for their new SUV. The Lincoln commercials have Matthew McConaughey shown driving to a, a ritzy party in his Lincoln SUV. He's blonde. He's handsome. He has a handsome. Any gal out there says he has a great body. I don't make anything of that. I'm just saying. He's rich. He's popular. And apparently in the commercial, he's really wise, which is weird because that doesn't strike me as Matthew McConaughey. He has an internal dialogue about the wonders of the universe and crap like that. That's marketing. Women want McConaughey. Men, not me, want to be McConaughey. Getting a Lincoln is the easiest way to become or be with Matthew McConaughey. That's marketing. Virtue signaling is when a company tries to align itself, not necessarily a product, with a politically correct issue. Benetton, The Gap, Nike, and Levi's are companies that are notorious for virtue signaling which is why I don't actually patronize these companies anymore. An example of this would be when uh, Sports Illustrated, better yet, because I think a lot of people who listen to this probably have seen the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. Sports Illustrated is notorious for virtue signaling. They're a very far left magazine, very far left uh, outlet. Uh, Sports Illustrated actually had their swimsuit issue with a bunch of overweight, obese women. And basically the idea is that no person should be body shamed. It was disgusting, but it was politically correct, and I will never look at another Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. That's the difference between the two. Now, I can tell you one thing. I guarantee you, Nike, while they were doing their marketing... They marketed white people, yes, but they probably marketed a ton of white women. There probably weren't a lot of white men being marketed. And they probably marketed famous athletes. And I don't think it would have mattered which what color they were back then. So, are they sexist, racist? No. They Were they sexist, racist? No. They were marketing. They weren't virtue signaling. They were trying to sell shoes. They were trying to start a company. They were trying to start a famous company. And it worked. Because that's what marketing does. It makes you want to buy their shoes. Their marketing was good. So this is what really annoys the crap out of me. Companies did not know how to virtue signal back then. So they marketed their products. They made their products attractive. And I'm pretty sure back in 1970, when Nike started up, they did not think a 400-pound transgender man or transgender woman was going to really sell their product very much. And the reality is it probably wouldn't. But really, the one thing that really bothers me isn't what Jet Magazine said about... Um, Running being healthy for black women, but not white women, isn't that kind of racist? And why isn't that considered racist? It's considered taking it head on. What if People magazine said that studies show jogging is healthy for white women and dangerous for black women? Would that be, would that be uh, racist? I really honestly believe people should learn to read their stuff and then reverse it. Because if I walk into my radio, if I walk into my podcast and I say, uh, well, white women, oh, jogging is really healthy for white women. It's really bad for black women. I guarantee you I would be kicked off of uh, YouTube and I'm practically kicked off YouTube as it is now. So just think about that. Let's continue on because we've got a long way to go. There's quite a long article. Quote, black track athletes by contracts contrast were familiar and even celebrated in the United States. Wow. Remember that. 
But to some white Americans, cheering on an Olympic athlete on television was entirely different from embracing black participation in an activity that took place on the streets of their neighborhood. By the 1980s, jogging had become known as a yuppie affection by eating croissants, owning a fancy juicer, and working on Wall Street? What? This is so stupid. What this basically is doing is it's making uh, jogging look like it's for the one percenters only. It's making it look, it's breaking jogging into the upper class. So suddenly jogging, which is really for everybody, and it is for everybody because it is a cheap sport. You wear a pair of shorts, doesn't matter what kind of shorts. You wear a t-shirt, doesn't matter what kind of t-shirts. You wear shoes, doesn't matter what kind of shoes you wear. I wear sandals for Christ's sake. You can be a jogger or a runner if you're, you're good enough. But they can't, she, she doesn't believe that. She believes only the richest and most yuppie, most disgusting of society actually qualify as runners. I think this is sick. Uh, I and the other thing I have is where's her proof? Where's the proof of this? She does not offer statistics on anything. She just says it. Okay, so what's the percentage of white to black uh, runners? I guarantee you it's over 15% black runners. Easily. Well over 30% Hispanic runners. Easily. Why? They're 15% black in this country. If you have 16% black runners, then it meets the scale. It meets the norm. So she'd be wrong. But I don't think that. I think it's very high black runners. I know it's extremely high Hispanic runners. Because I've competed. I've seen them. Here, here's an example. And, and my experience says differently. My coach was black. He drove an old VW bug. He was not a rich man. Whereas my family and the families of the people who went to the Catholic private school that I went to, they were all well off. But the school still hired him, even though he was black and the school was predominantly white. He had no trouble yelling at me, even though I might have been in a higher class than he was. I don't know if I was because he was actually he was actually well off, but he, he had no problem yelling at me when I put in a poor performance or was screwing off. Does it sound like matter of fact, we were good friends. I ran with him. About five, four, I got ran with him two or three years after I had finished high school. He still coached me two or three years after I finished high school. I didn't have to pay him. He just enjoyed our my company. And we ran together until he got married and he had a kid. Does it sound like jogging or running? At this time, it's running. We're not jogging. But does it sound like our running was class warfare? Was race warfare? Okay, let's continue on. Blacks were constantly defined in contrast to this legitimate white jogger. I don't know. I'm not even going to comment on the legitimate white jogger thing. That doesn't even make sense. Continuing. The consequences could be fatal. In 1980, a white supremacist trying to make a point about a danger of race mixing fatal, fatally shot two black men jogging with two white women in Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. I was waiting for this. I knew there had to be the emotional crash. And here it is. This is where the... Ex Here's the problem. Yes, you probably... I don't even know if her story's true. Let's, let's, let's call this right off the bat. I do not know if what she's saying is true. I don't know the story. I'm going to just assume it is true. That two black men in the 80s was running with uh, two white women somebody got ticked off and they shot they shot him i i you know what i i going to give her the benefit of the doubt because yeah i can believe it i can believe it could happen but this is where the ex this is an exception to the rule was the white supremacist running and just happened to have a shotgun on him and didn't start shooting at the two black men or was it just a white supremacist that started shooting at the black men he happened to see? And if these two black men were not jogging, 
they were actually walking with the women, what would have made the behavior different? Here's the thing. The, the exception does not prove, or in this case create, the rule. This is, this is an exception where two black men were killed running. Okay. But, I mean, this does not actually mean anything. And, and the thing is, this is another thing. If, if that's the case, what about the wilding incident in New York Central Park where the group of black kids beat and raped a white woman while she was jogging back in the 80s? Does this prove that jogging is racist against white people? I know that's not a very popular statement because whites, you can't have any racism against whites because they're white. Of course not. It's an exception. They weren't attacking her because she was jogging. They were attacking her. And they I, I don't even think they were attacking her because she was white. She just happened to be there. Same with the writer's statement. The, right, the white supremacist did not do this dastardly deed because the black guy was jogging. He did this because the black guy was black and the white guy was a white supremacist. Supremacist. Let's call it what it is. It doesn't matter what he would have been doing. He would have done the same thing. So let's continue. The African-American periodical, The Crisis, wrote in 1985 how blacks were viewed by white runners. The homeless and downtrodden, quote, the homeless and downtrodden are most times a disgusting irritation to the jogging, orange juice drinking yuppie who must step over or pass them on his or her way to the office. By the way, that seems kind of racist. And I would not think much different from a African-American periodical called The Crisis. Nothing solidified the notion, uh, continue, nothing solidified this notion of the black threat to white joggers as viscerally as the case of the Central Park jogger, that's the wilding case I just talked about, when five men of color were wrongfully convicted of raping and attempting to murder a white runner. Okay, Um, I cry BS right here, all right? No, they were convicted. They were rightfully convicted. They admitted they did it. They described the, the crime in detail. They pled guilty. But it was in New York, and it was a highly politicized case. And there were some questions about the prosecutor's ethics, which, by the way, the, um, which, by the way, they actually, the prosecutor said nothing was illegal. She was never fired. She was never disciplined. To this day, no one has any doubt these kids did that. So let's not get crazy and make these people out to be, uh, make out to be uh, innocent and that this stuff doesn't happen to white people. It does. Does it, again, I'm going to say this again, because I actually commented on the Wilding case in the last paragraph. I didn't actually read this paragraph or remember this paragraph. So I added that before. But just to show you that it's a double standard. They were not, they were not, they were released, but they were convicted. They did admit guilt and they did describe the entire story. They were not innocent. Let's be very clear. They were not wrongfully convicted. They were rightfully convicted. They were unjustifiably released. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Quote, the racist presumption proved durable. In 1994, when a black jogger foiled a rape, Attempted in Central Park, the survivors celebrated the survivors celebrated him as a super a black Superman, but the police and press minimized him as a mere do-gooder and didn't publish his race, a damning oversight given the rabid coverage of the black male perpetrators. Six years later, when police officers pulled a gun on Reverend Sheldon Stoudemire while he was running through the Pittsburgh neighborhood with a tape recorder, they mistook it for a firearm. He lamented. One wrong move, and here we've got another dead black man on the street. Neither of these, and I'm, I'm not going to even talk about them because they really are just kind of weird, and I can't, neither of these prove a point. 
neither of these examples. Um, so the black the the black guy who saved the white woman from being raped. What does that have to do with her premise? Um, the the uh, reverend who's jogging down the park with what looked like a gun, and the cop stopped him. It would have added to her premise if he was actually shot. He wasn't. So what's her point here? The point is she has no point. The point is the, the, the statistics and the incidents don't match up. She's going for emotions here. The only cases she can actually find about this was the 1980 killing of the two black men by the theoretical white supremacist. And the only reason I'm saying that is because I don't know the case. I, I can believe it. It's Utah. And the Aubrey case which was a terrible case, and I can believe it because I saw the video and I'm kind of confused about what happened. But then the other cases she bring up have nothing to do with white people being attacked. One was a cop and the other one saved somebody from a rape. So I'm not quite sure where she's going with this entire mess. In her final paragraphs, she says, quote, American distance running is still stubbornly white. Uh, the United States is only for the first time sending black female marathoners to the Olympics in 2021. While the competitive amateur and recreational levels of the sport remain overwhelmingly light. That is complete BS. Don't, that is a complete lie. Mr. Arbery's death and the ensuing outcry is in some ways the latest data point in the sick mashup of structural racism, gun violence, and vigilantism that's become a hallmark of American life. That's not true either. Oh, well, whatever. You you just But it's also an example of the glaring whiteness of recreational running. A hobby that forty seven million Americans embrace in part because of the enticing illusion of universalism, not true, but that has never been and still is far from an equal opportunity endeavor. This is just such a terrible ending paragraph. It is so hateful and United States is so bad. Okay. First off, American distance running is not stubbornly white by any stretch of the imagination. Meb Kevlazinski is a United States marathoner who qualified for the marathon the last, I don't know, 20 years. He's actually come in. He's actually gotten medals in the marathon. Long distance running is not stubbornly white. As a matter of fact, it is becoming more African-American. And by the way, distance running itself is mostly black. Marathoners from uh, Ethiopia and Kenya are consistently winning the Olympics, Olympic Games. Consistently. And even an American has won it. So it, it, that's just stupid. And the other part is, well, sending black female marathoners to the Olympics in 2021. Well, yeah, they got to qualify. You're not just going to run out there. You're black. You're going to make it to the marathon. You've got to beat somebody. When was the last time you saw a, a black a, a female marathoner? There just aren't a lot of them. So when they qualify, yeah, they're going to end up in the Olympics. Mev, again, Meb Kelvis, I can never pronounce, Meb, Meb actually was a marathoner back in the, I think it was 2008 Olympics. I mean, the guy, the guy, the guy ran in the Olympics. We never stopped blacks from going to the Olympics. And then this part here, sick mashup of structural racism, gun violence, and vigilantism that has become the hallmark of American life? What America is she living in? I tell you what, she's not living in that America. This gal has a PhD in history of politics and culture. She has written for the Washington Post. She has written for the New York Times. She's written for the New York Times here. She's written for uh, Slate magazine. And she's written for, I think it was Slate. Maybe it was another magazine. Um, maybe it was Vox. I think it was Slate, though. And she's written for HuffPo. 
the most liberal outlets out there. This gal's this gal's thought on America. She's an elitist that is completely out of touch with America. She wouldn't know what life's like because she's too busy running for her seventy-five dollar a month. She's too busy running in her seventy-five dollar a month gym and her private beach. So she has no idea of anything about running. Now, let me debunk this entire article with a few lines. Meb Keflazigi. Gerbacher Gerba Bermarimian. I don't know. Jeffrey Mutai. Jeffrey Mutai. Wilson Kipsang. Stanley Biwat. Girme Gerberlibizi. Same name as before. Jeffrey Camwar. Leslie Tessia. Jeffrey Camorer again. Do you know those 10 names, were who they came from? Those were the winners of the New York Marathon in the last 10 years. All black. Most of those people do not train. Meb is from the United States. The rest are from Ethiopia and Kenya with one from Eritrea, which I don't know where that is. But they all train in the United States. They've all gone to United States colleges. They're not training in Kenya and Ethiopia. All are black. One is American. All train in America. Sound like America's a bad place? Well, why don't these guys go back and train in Kenya? Why don't they go back and train in, Ken- in Ethiopia? They don't because the best training is in the United States and they can get an education while they're doing it. And I totally forgot about... A couple of other guys. Let's not forget Michael Johnson, Carl Lewis, Justin Gatlin, Maurice Green, Jesse Owens, Florence Griffith Joyner, Tyson Gay, Tommy Smith, Edwin Moses, and Jonathan Bailey, Donovan Bailey, just to name a few. I've run with some of these people in Santa Monica. I've had the honor of running with some of these people in Santa Monica, specifically Carl Lewis and Edwin Moses. They used to run with the Santa Monica Track Club. I got I got the honor. They they were talking to my coach, and I got the honor to run with them and actually say hi. They didn't seem scared or worried about running in a nearly all white Santa Monica. The r- running community. Here, here's a newsflash: the running community, it does not care about race. It never has. The running community does not care about creed, gender, or religion. We don't, don't care what language you speak. We do not care what you wear and what you do before or the little habits you do you have before and after practice or after before or after a race. During races, I've worn shorts, sweats, tights, and even a kilt. No one's made fun of me. I have seen people run naked. Ouch for the men. We belch, fart, dribble our food and water all over our clothes, vomit, and sometimes pee and poop ourselves. We don't care. We are runners. We are all runners. This article is what proclaims to fight against racism. It is a racist article. I know it is unpopular to say that racism can go against white ra- the white race, but it can and it does. And I don't care. For me, going against the white race just invalidates this article. Because I already know it's not true. Especially coming from someone like uh, Natalia Melman Pretzella, who's living in her castle in Malibu someplace. So, okay, that went a little long. I, this was a great article. I had to talk about it. It really ticked me off. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at RunninFool, R-U-N-N-I-N-F-E-W-L. You can listen. You can uh, listen to the podcast on podcast or an Apple Podcast, Podbean, Podcast, Podcast Addict, and YouTube. You can visit my site at www.dumbassestalkingpolitics. Uh, you will see video, uh, graphics, and the links where I got the information and all my show notes. And let's congratulate Space Force once again. This is Gene, and you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics.